Hello and welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, a new podcast on the energy industry. My name is Dylan Lockwood. I am the online content editor for Z Prime, and joining me is head of research H. Christine Richards. How are you, Christine? I'm good. How are you, Dylan? I'm doing quite well. And I'm also joined by research analyst Aaron Hardick. How are you today, Aaron? I'm doing pretty well, Dylan. How are you? I, I'm also doing quite well. Thank you for asking. Uh, we've got a good show today. Our topic is the power of local, and later we'll be talking to Carl Popham, who is head of emerging technologies and electric vehicles at Austin Energy. But first, we're going to start with a quick look at some news. Aaron, what did you see this week that intrigued you? Well, seeing that I am an Austin resident, I figured it would be only appropriate to bring a piece of Austin news to our Power of Local podcast. Um, So Austin Energy actually recently signed a new uh, wind contract um, for a wind farm in in the Gulf Coast. Uh, It looks like the utility will have um, 1,300 megawatts of wind power under the contract, um, an additional 306 megawatts of utility-scale solar power in its portfolio and 320 megawatts coming online over the next 18 months. So I I just think it's really interesting how much people are are starting to really look at wind. You know, there's talk in the industry about wind um, possibly becoming more of of a baseload as we move as we move towards uh, more renewables in the generation portfolio. Um, so I, I certainly see how something like this lines up with Austin Energy's uh, strategy. You know, the city council set a goal to have 55% renewable power by 2025, and this, this contract really is going to help them uh, get there, I think. So, um, again, it really we're starting to see this this move towards um wind as becoming you know a kind of a baseload if baseload is still the appropriate term um as we move towards renewables what do you what do you think about that christine i mean i I think it's pretty interesting um just to see the continued growth of of renewables you know I, i mean i think there's been a lot of talk about well you know what's the future of renewables you know, what does the U.S. look like going forward? Um, and, and definitely seeing that there's still, you know, a lot of momentum. Um, and it, it's pretty exciting to see Austin Energy, um, you know, be able to tap into to some of those some of those resources. Absolutely. Another interesting thing about this project is a lot of people, you know, associate wind in Texas with West Texas. But um, Austin Energy, you know, they decided to go the Gulf Coast route um for this project i guess um those winds coming in off the gulf coast are going to be it's going to be easier to i guess leverage them or more beneficial to leverage them as opposed to west west texas winds so that's um something that's also pretty unique about this this project well i thought that was interesting because i mean that's one of the big big things with renewables is just you know aligning um, when the renewables are generating power with when um, people have have demand for it. So it sounded like, you know, pulling it from the Gulf Coast better aligned, you know, with some of the demand um, as opposed to pulling it, pulling it from West Texas. Yeah. And uh, in this article, it said that uh, the city council's goal is, is to have 55 percent of the power 
be, be renewable in the city of Austin by 2025. And when this new one comes online, it's going to be up to 47%. So it looks like they're uh, committed to reaching that goal. Oh, certainly. And, you know, I, it's it's nice that we have Carl on, uh, we'll have Carl on the podcast later, you know, to talk about uh, the different ways um, Austin Energy is committed to meeting um, the city's goals for reducing emissions and incorporating renewables um, into generation uh so it'll be good to hear his perspective on that as well, because Austin is, um, you know, really an innovative leader in that sense, trying to become more sustainable as a city as a whole. For me, you know, I think because I'm all about themes um, and always connecting to to themes, as, as you guys probably know, um, thinking about, you know, kind of this concept of, of power of local and, um, you know, even within Austin Energy, and maybe this is something to ask Carl you know, a little bit later on. Um, but even within Austin Energy, you know, being able to meet some of their renewable energy re- demands, um, you know, they're looking outside of their their, their community um, and drawing resources from other areas. And there's just so much talk and excitement about, um, you know, the, this very localized, you know, energy, whether it's distributed energy resources, storage, things like that. Um, you know, that in a lot of cases, you know, it's probably going to be a combination of, of of both of being able to draw from these local resources as well as you know drawing from some outside resources um, to to meet our energy needs and it may be um, you know that now those are starting to go more towards that renewable side but it seems like it's going to have to be a, a balance of both. It seems really positive for the city of Austin going forward. Uh, thank you for that, Aaron. Uh, Christine, what did you have this week? Well, again, just playing off of my whole my whole uh, interest in in themes. Um, you know, we're talking today about the the power of local, and I know you asked for a news piece, Dylan, uh, and, and I wanted to explore really this relationship between utilities and and smart cities because that whole concept of a smart city is something that you know is 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 really something that's very local. Uh, but I'm going to cheat a little bit here and, and not necessarily bring up a you know a piece of news, but but really some of the recent research that we've done, uh, just talking about this relationship between smart cities and and utilities. So I wanted to really touch on two research pieces. One, um, we recently released a, a smart cities report, um, and it isn't just about smart cities in general. It really looks at the relationship between uh, utility companies and and the largest metropolitan areas in in the U.S. So we really looked at the the top twenty um, metro areas in in terms of size. And what we found really interesting there, we explored uh, the relationship of of utilities and their you know largely smart grid uh, efforts and compared them with the smart city efforts that are going on within these metro areas. We also looked at utilities and, and how they're helping to drive energy innovation uh, with, within their communities. And what was really interesting to me about this study, you know, looking at, in most cases, obviously very large cities within the U.S., as well as very large utilities, a lot of these utilities were taking on these more advanced efforts, things like um, AMI meters, uh, you know, deploying more grid sensors, things like that. But a lot of them felt that they really weren't a part of the city's smart 
city efforts, which which I thought was interesting because I feel like those those technologies that are going in on the grid, you know, definitely contribute to smart city efforts. Uh, so definitely saw a disconnect there among you know the really large municipal or cities, as as well as um, you know the utility companies who are oftentimes you know very very large utility companies. But another piece of research I wanted to throw in there uh, talks about smaller communities as well. So uh, we just released our annual municipal utility survey, and there we asked uh, these municipal utilities about. Uh, the technology that was already underway within their organizations or was going to happen within the next three years. Uh, and, and these utilities, I mean, they varied in size, but I would say they were on the, you know, the smaller spectrum from some of these larger utilities like a, like a ComEd or a Con Edison. And these utilities said, hey, you know, 84% of them said, hey, you know, we either have AMI uh, underway or we're doing it in the next three years. Uh, but we asked them about a whole list of technologies. And, and what I found was interesting was that at the very bottom of this list of, of 20 or so technologies was smart cities. Uh, it was just above AI or artificial intelligence. So 84% said we're working on AMI and only 23% of these utilities said that they were working on smart cities. So again, it just kind of points to that disconnect. Um, you know, investments are being made in this intelligence. And it's really not being recognized at that, that community level. The other thing I thought that was really interesting was over 90% of these utilities we surveyed, and I believe there were, there were close to 100 that we surveyed for this study, 90% of them owned their own streetlights, um, which is a huge opportunity within the smart city space. And and these utilities again, you know, said, "Hey, you know, we're not we're not necessarily within that working within that smart cities area." Even though um, a lot of these utilities we talked at were at a conference we attended, a lot of them talked about streetlight efforts that were going on, which again, you know, ties into into that smart cities piece. Um, so I think I just wanted to, to bring up that to really point out, you know, some of those disconnects um, that that we're seeing going on between some of the efforts within utilities and uh, efforts going on at the city level. And so a question I had, and I'll throw it back to, to Aaron and Dylan. I mean, what do you see it really taking to, you know, truly connect utilities with their cities to drive innovation? You know, I mean, it's definitely a tough question, right? And that's why, I mean, that's why we have the problems that we have today. I think, you know, one important um, aspect of this is continuing to educate the public on why this is so important and why these relationships are important and how they can end up benefiting, um, you know, the surrounding community. At an event I went to in Washington, D.C., um, I heard an interesting take on it and somebody stood up and mentioned that street, smart streetlights decreased infant mortality rates um, in the city because, you know, they were allowing ambulances to you know, push through traffic and they're communicating with the ambulance as they're coming, uh, approaching the intersection, you know, pushing them through. Um, and so as a result, infant mortality rate went down because of, um, you know, smart city efforts uh, within within the city. So I think things like that, um, the more we can relay or make that information um, digestible to the community, the more effective the efforts or smart city efforts will be uh, between the 
municipals and and the rest of the city if we can just continue to keep the community engaged and involved um it will continue to encourage um partnerships to really push out um smart city uh, initiatives yeah partnerships really resonates with me um from, from what you said Aaron. i mean really having those connections and and just understanding the complexity I mean, like you said, I mean, something you think, oh, we're, you know, we're doing streetlights, we're, we're saving, saving energy. Um, but I mean, there are so many other things that that could then be applied to. But, you know, that can be difficult to identify because people oftentimes operate in their own silos. You know, I, I work in energy or I work in transportation um, when there's really starting to be some lines that, that are getting blurred um, between these, these different sort of disciplines or, or silos. Um, and that, that's a hard thing for people to, to deal with is some of that change. Thank you, Christine and Aaron. That was uh, some good stuff. But now we're going to move on to our general discussion. Our topic this week is the power of local. And I guess we'll start with Christine on this because uh, you seemed you really wanted to talk about this. So when, when, you know, when people talk about the power of local, you know, they're usually talking about their own specific utility, but there's more to it than that. What does the power of local mean to you, Christine? Yeah, Dylan. Um, I, I mean, it is a topic I'm really passionate about. I, I've probably gotten really into uh, the whole idea of local. I'm pretty involved in my community um, and I've seen a lot of really cool changes happen because of, of people really being involved at that local level. Um, but a lot of times when people say something like the power of local or you know, being focused on, on local efforts, uh, you know, usually hear it in terms of things like sustainability or having an emphasis on, on purchasing things local, the, the kind of concept of farm to table and, and all of that, um, or really the power of local government, you know, and things beyond energy. Um, but here what we're really considering is that, that power of energy at, at a local level, which, which could be a, a few different things. I mean, we could look at the municipal control of utilities or municipally owned utilities. Um, but, but we're also looking at the emphasis of partnerships at a local level, you know, to really move forward with this more, you know, clean, sustainable, um, technologically advanced um, energy ecosystem, as well as the, the roles that smaller scale you know, generation plays at, at a local level. So I think there are a lot of different angles and, and ways that, that you can look at it. Um, you know, for me, the thing is, I mean, you have this, you know, local food, local beer, but, you know, how can we really extend that to energy uh, in, in a meaningful way? And, and what does that look like? Um, that, that's definitely what I've been wrestling with. Aaron, what about you? What, what do you think when you hear the power of local? You know, I, I like, I really like that term. Um, I think, again, going back to, you know, living in Austin, that's really, it's pretty prevalent um, in all aspects of the city. You know, we have, you know, we have the slogan, keep Austin weird, which really is about, you know, promoting small businesses and um, 
promoting, you know, uniqueness in terms of innovation and in, in across different sectors. Technology and energy uh, are really booming right now in Austin. And I think that's driven by the residents themselves. Uh, you know, the culture of the community, they're ready to adapt to a sustainable way of living. And that's very powerful in and of itself. So the power of local to me comes down to the willingness um, of the people within your community to say, hey, we have the ability to make a difference and we're willing to do that. And I think that's unique about Austin. It's certainly coming, it certainly, you know, shows. It's reflected through Austin energy um, and their ability and um, also their, you know, willingness to look towards ways to incorporate renewables and look towards ways to be sustainable for the community so I think you know the the mutual understanding and respect of the community and the local utility to work together to make this a better place to live is is really what the power of local is all about yeah that's an interesting thing you bring up there Aaron about how you know the power of local doesn't just refer to the utilities themselves, but also, you know, the community that they serve and the activism, or at the very least, the sense of uh, improved, you know, a want to improve the quality of living or even just better ways to pay for pay for electricity. So, yeah, it's I, I agree that it's not just that innovation comes from a local level. It's also that... Uh, it's also that customers are helping to drive some of these innovations by demanding more from their utilities. Right. And as, as we see uh, these utility business models start to become more customer centric and really based on customer preferences, um, I think the role the community plays in moving towards clean distributed generation is very important and um, that's the responsibility of the community and it's also the responsibility of the of the utility but I, I don't think it's one-sided I don't think it's only the utility's job to try to cut emissions it's the community's job to say yes we're willing to do this and we're willing to work with you and we want to buy this clean um, we want to buy clean energy so that you so that you can generate it and we can generate it. I just really think that the mutual, I guess, it's just such a mutually beneficial relationship if if the drive that's, and want is there. That's exactly right. Uh, Christine, help me understand one thing, though. Uh, what is the difference between local control of energy and distributed generation? Well, I mean, I think that, um, you know, within power, I mean, it's it's historically been, you know, a pretty local, local affair. Uh, in that you know things are, are primarily controlled at the at the state level or or at the municipal level, um, but I, I I think with the the power of local, you can really see where a municipal utility would come into play and and helping really galvanize people um, and and bring them together, and that's something where you know Austin really has has that sort of of, of benefit, um, but I I think that you know the that the power of local can also mean um, that emphasis from the community around, you know, l- more localized distributed generation. And it could really happen whether 
um, you know, the utility serving your area uh, is a municipal utility or, or a larger utility. So, uh, for example, here in Denver, um, that's where I live, uh, and we're we're served by Excel Energy, which Excel Energy um, definitely serves a lot more than than just Denver. Um, but there really hadn't been that much going on here in in Denver until probably the past um, couple of years, where um, you know, we had organizations like Panasonic. Uh, the city of Denver uh, really start to come together and say, hey, you know, we, we want to do a little, we want to do more. Um, we want to have more of that uh, more localized power generation, you know, more local influence on what our energy future looks like. Um, and that's that's really starting to, to evolve. Um, so I think the key point there is municipal control can, you know, certainly help uh, the power of local, but you know it's not it's not required. Um, you know any community could really start to do this if those right if those right partnerships are in place. So Aaron, as Christine said, a lot of these utilities operate on this local level with local laws and regulatory agencies, but we do have a federal system and federal regulations in place as well. To what end does that affect local policies? The power of local and vice versa. So there are federal regulations in place that each state, you know, has has to meet. But the f- the federal regulations that they put in place, um, for the most part, the states decide how they can achieve or work towards those, um, towards meeting those guidelines. And there are certain states that are probably you know more progressive and proactive about doing that. Um, you know, there are, there are really innovative leaders like California, New York, um, that are committed to, you know, cutting emissions, reducing um, negative effects on the climate. So, of course, you know, there is some federal influence, but ultimately, I think that right now, uh, the states have a lot of power, and they're really trying their, their best to meet the... Um, these climate regulations. I'm just getting caught up because the power of, when I think of the power of local, it's so, I think of a community, like a small community, a city um, within a state, and then the state within, you know, the nation. So when it starts at the city level, um, you're talking about how are cities interacting with each other within the state um, to meet state regulations. And then how are the states going to meet federal regulations? It's just so many different tiers of um, action that, of course, they're going to influence each other because they're all so interconnected. But that's that's all I I can really say on it. So what you're saying is is that at the federal level, they kind of provide this this framework and then the, you know, various tiers of regulation and tiers of organization kind of come together from the bottom up to find out how to best meet these requirements. Yeah, I I think that's a a great way to summarize it. I think it comes back to that complexity too, um, and that everything has, everything's interrelated and, you know, I can, I can do things on a very local level in in my community, um, but I'm still, you know, what our community does is still you know, somewhat guided by uh, these larger entities that that are out there. Um, I think we've definitely seen some, you know, definitely some tension uh, in terms of, you know, what's what's the future of coal? 
Um, what about environmental standards? Um, you know, for an industry that it seems like it's been moving slowly but surely towards this more clean, cleaner, sustainable energy. Um, you know, what do what do all these things that are, that are being talked about and discussed at a federal level? You know, what is what is that really going to mean? Um, and how how is it going to shape local communities? I think another piece is just seeing, you know, this this groundswell of um, sort of local activism around around energy in response to things that have happened at the federal level. Um, so I think you know, shortly after the election uh, late last year, we had a U.S. Green Building Council. Uh, webinar where, you know, the city of Boston said, hey, you know, regardless of what happens at the federal level, um, we need to move forward and we have, you know, specific goals that we need to meet around around climate change. Um, you know, we also had at, at ETS 17, I was going to say 18, but we're not there yet. We're planning for that right now. Um, at ETS 17, you know, we had Dean Sievers from National Grid, who's who's the head of National Grid US, saying, hey, you know, we need to go ahead and decarbonize our energy infrastructure. So, um, you know, there are all these things that are happening at the national level, but then there are also these things that are happening at the local level. Um, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see in the, in the coming years how how that all shakes out in terms of, you know, local versus more more federal control over energy. Right. And uh, to kind of tie the two things together, because Aaron, you were talking about how it's not just a utility's responsibility to you know, put forward uh, the best ideas. They also need help from their communities and how interconnected they are. Does that then mean that one could get in the way of the other as well because they're so dependent on each other? You know, uh, from a federal, like say from a federal perspective, uh, there are these, you know, there's these goals you have to meet and there are technologies that could get you there, but the people in your community uh, aren't really on board with it or the people in the community want this technology, but the utility uh, is afraid to invest in it. Does that mean that the power of local can also, the power of local, which drives innovation, can also hinder it as well? I guess so. But I'm, I think that, you know, one unique thing about, you know, different policies within states, it allows different, you know, local governments, local communities to experiment with different technologies and, and then find ones that are the most viable and the most helpful. So um, it creates competition kind of in a sense to figure out what is the appropriate policy that may be adopted at a federal level. Um, so yeah, it, it probably it could, you know, stagnate innovation in some sense, but at the same time it just also encourages more innovation to find the right policy to find the right technology solution at the local level so that it could hopefully be adopted at a state level and then maybe a federal level and honestly i mean we've never really i mean we don't we don't have a national energy policy right now i mean there there are certain things that that influence energy um you know but a lot of it really still is is you know, at that local level and at the state level as well, um, in, in terms of shaping what our what our energy future really looks like. Christine, in your opinion, what hasn't been covered very much in regards to local energy? Just thinking back to the earlier research that 
that we were discussing um, around utilities and, and smart cities, um, you know, I think that's a conversation that's that's been going on. Um, but a piece of that research, we also looked at uh, the role of utilities in driving energy innovation within communities. And what I mean around energy innovation is looking at, um, you know, helping to develop new companies, um, new technologies, or, or growing existing ones, um, and really using the local community as an opportunity to generate innovation that's then able to be used in, in other communities as well. Um, so it's really kind of looking at it from that economic development standpoint and and how you know utilities and energy can really be driving the growth and, and development of some of these technologies as opposed to just deploying them. Now, I know that there, I mean, a lot of utilities actually are testing a lot of these technologies, uh, but investing in you know some of the resources and capabilities to help um, grow their their organizations within their community uh, could be really powerful. Uh, the other thing I've been wrestling with around the idea of the power of local is just you know the impact of you know let's say large scale generation plants. You know we've been talking about having more uh, local energy resources. You know the impact of you know, large-scale generation plants, you know, shutting down, what impact does that have on those local communities? Um, because even though that power may be going from, you know, this one coal plant to some distant community, you know, there is a community around that coal plant um, that that has, you know, a lot of times um, going to be dependent on that plant. So an example being the um, Navajo generating plant in Page, Arizona, um, a 2200 megawatt uh, coal plant that uh, provides revenues, about a third of the revenues uh, every year for um, the, the Navajo reservation. So they're, they're talking about that plant closing down in 2019 um, about 25 years ahead of schedule, you know, what does that mean for that local community? I mean, how are they going to adapt and change? Um, so I, I think that there, there are some questions there of, you know, people who are producing this energy, um, you know, what sort of impact does it have on their local communities as, as the energy uh, sources really start to change? Christine, I, I liked what you said um, about not just deploying technologies, but, you know, cultivating them. What we're starting to see uh, among a lot of the larger utilities um, are these energy technology, these investment funds, essentially, that are dedicated to finding um, or creating, you know, innovative technologies to help the utility. Uh, but these companies, these IOUs are investing in technologies. So what role does the utility play in driving innovation culture within the community and how how far does that go so of course we're starting to see more utilities create these partnerships um you know these soft software as a service business process as a service these these technology business models that are partnering with these utilities um to have this really digital type I guess you know product um, that these utilities are using um, but that's that's innovation in it in and of itself that the utility is even willing to say hey we can use 
this technology firm's technology within our own business model we're hoping we're creating a partnership with them we're you know maybe benefiting the experience of our customers um so we're creating partnerships but we're also as well investing in our own technology innovation so it's it's interesting because it's promoting innovation kind of in two different ways yeah i really like that of um being able to within your own organization you know kind of i guess practice what what you what you've been preaching around um you know, investments in, in technology and developing smarter grids and infrastructure um, and and actually doing that and helping other companies cultivate their technologies. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting approach. All right. Well, thank you both for that discussion. When we come back, we'll be talking to Carl Popham from Austin Energy. Don't go anywhere. There's more Z Prime on the grid coming up. And we're back. On the podcast today, we have Carl Popham. He is the head of electric vehicles and emerging technologies at Austin Energy. How are you doing today, Carl? Uh, I'm doing great, Nolan. Thank you. And an honor to be on the first uh, episode ever of this new podcast. And it was nice listening in to the uh, first part of it. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, We're glad to have you. Erin Hardick, our research analyst, is uh, one of your customers, and she was uh, talking about a little bit about Austin. But I, I want to hear from you. Uh, tell me about Austin as a local energy community. What is unique to them, and what do they model for communities nationwide? Uh, certainly. Well, uh, like Aaron, I'm a, I'm a customer too, and I've been a customer a lot longer than I have been uh, uh, an employee. I've been with Austin Energy for uh, 12 years now, but I've been a customer for several decades. And I guess what makes us a little different is probably kind of the long-term view or nature we have our customers. I mean, Austin Energy was founded in 1895. Uh, we are the sole service provider in our territory, so that allows us to, I think, think in terms of, of, of decades as far as the things we do strategically. Um, so I think that's uh, very uh, helpful. Um, also being city owned, we really focus on things like affordability, the environment, uh, but as well as so any money, uh, so, so our revenues do transfer back to the city and the community pay things like parks and libraries and fire. And so we transfer a little over a hundred million a year back to the, back to the city. So I think um, being in a city that owns its utility uh, is a fantastic thing. It's a, it's a great thing to have in your city. And I think it's one of the um, key things that makes um, Austin uh, unique and like it is. So, Carl, what current trends and practices are being pioneered at a local level? Uh, I know you work in electric vehicles, and that seems to have a solid local component. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, first of all, looking at some of the big trends, I mean, globally, population has moved from rural to, to cities. And what I find out talking to a lot of different cities through smart cities groups and, and other workshops is a lot of our problems are pretty similar. You know, we're seeing a, a high uh, a population growth. So for here in Austin, we get about 150 net people new a day. 
And uh, when you look at our current ratio, for example, to vehicles, that's that's about a one. We have about a one person to one vehicle ratio here in town. So that's about 150 vehicles a, a day. Uh, and then homes, we're roughly two people to one home. So that's about 66 homes, 65 homes or so a, a day that needs to be accommodated. So that's a lot of growth. So within the car thing, what we figured out is we're not going to be able to pave our way uh, out of our current, and I think it's fair to say, mobility uh, a crisis. And so um, a lot of the problems being solved at that local level or the city level, so some of our key focuses are affordability and mobility, uh, as well as addressing climate change and clean air. If we can figure it out at the city level, and most people live in cities, and we can do it in such a way, in a sustainable way, in a sustainable business model kind of way, other cities will replicate it, and that ultimately what's what's moves the needle. Um, other things, you know, in regarding the transportation electrification, uh, our team is is working on is uh, city council passed a resolution about a vision of new mobility. So not only is that vision to electric, but it's also shared and autonomous. So that has uh, very interesting opportunities, but also barriers that that need to be addressed, and and we're working on that. And then since this is you know uh, an energy show. First and foremost, uh, another uh, trend that, that my team's working on is just the, the continued increased adoption of distributed energy resources, um, so PV, solar, and storage. And so a project we're working on here is called Austin Shines, and that's funded by the U.S. Department of Energy as well as the state of Texas and others uh, to basically integrate uh, PV solar uh, with storage. Carl, this is this is Christine here. I have a question for you around um, some of the mobility pieces that you brought up. Uh, you know, earlier in the podcast, we were talking about the role of different partnerships, um, utilities, really reaching out beyond just their their silo of energy. And I think you know, electric vehicles and mobility is you know a great example of the opportunities. Um, that utilities do have to reach out. Could you talk a little bit more about some of the partnerships um, ar around mobility and, and what's had to happen to, to really make that move forward in the community? Certainly. I think one thing that kind of triggered it here locally is about two years ago, uh, Department of Transportation released the Smart Cities Challenge uh, grant. So that was $40 million dollars. Uh, and then with a partnership from Vulcan with $10 million, and then later they also partnered with Department of Energy, was a way for cities to step up the plate, pitch some big ideas forward on electric vehicles, mobility, address ladders of opportunity, address CO2 emissions, you know, kind of a comprehensive smart city plan. Uh, I recall 77 cities applied. And then out of that, there were the final seven. So Austin was the final seven. So we got awarded uh, some money, 100K, to kind of put together a plan. And so there were several months where there was a lot of work being done on developing a plan as a finalist for Smart Cities Challenge. And, and some of the key partners that we worked with there is, one is obviously our transportation department. And so I've really gotten to know uh, those folks and their business and just them as people a lot more probably accelerated 
through that challenge. And a lot of what these uh, problems hope to address is the intersection of energy and transportation, uh, but also other key contributors uh, then and now is our city's sustainability office, our local uh, transit authority, Capital Metro, uh, different nonprofit uh, research organizations to include, uh, you know, working with you guys, uh, Z Prime and Events at Energy Thought Summit, but also Rocky Mountain Institute awarded Austin a very interesting kind of uh, next wave mobility uh, grant, if you will, to kind of bring some expertise, uh, some pretty dedicated expertise over the next uh, few years. Uh, and then there's, I mean, that's just kind of scratching the surface of the stakeholders. But what I found is, is, is having to pursue, you know, really have concentrated effort of about four to five months. It probably advanced our smart cities understanding um, by about three years uh, by, by having that level of stakeholder involvement. It was also very heavily involved by our mayor and several city council members. So when, for example, when we all went to DC to pitch the solution, we traveled with our mayor and two council members. So we had senior policy and you know leaders involved uh, in that pursuit as well. And, and they just weren't there for the pitch or for or for the high profile events. They were there in the meeting rooms, rolling up their sleeves, working on the solutions, you know, uh, with staff and other stakeholders and community uh, stakeholders as well to develop that plan. And it's also interesting um, just just hearing your your conversation, Carl, about um, you know the partnerships and and what really pushed that partnership. Uh, those partnerships forward, and, you know, and that being this, uh, you know, essentially kind of contest at the federal offered at the federal level um, to help drive that innovation forward. So it's kind of interesting to see that those relationships, you know, at the at the federal and local level, and how that can really drive drive change. Yeah, nothing brings people together better than money and competition, and that <laughs> yeah. had it both. Not a bad formula. It works. <laughs> Definitely. And when you're talking about interacting at a federal level or trying to get these trends sort of going, it brings up this important struggle. So when when is it important to think towards larger industry trends and when is it better to focus local? How, inter- how interconnected are the two? Well, I would say they're very connected. First and foremost, you know, being with Austin Energy, a locally owned utility, my focus is the local level. With that said, what goes on locally is is being repeated at cities uh, and areas all over the U.S. and all over the world. We have similar problems uh, around mobility, affordability, uh, booming populations. Um, so I still work and I still have working meetings with the seven finalist cities. Um, you, you mentioned Denver. They were one of them as well. I was just in Denver uh, last week talking to them about working with the national labs on some on some interesting work and what the city of Denver is doing. Um, so I would say is, you know, the trends help kind of um, give us a looking glass, if you will, into the future of, of kind of what's happening and big picture, uh, where the market is going, and also just where we're society and humans are going. So, you know, we know what globally, what the population trends are doing. Um, And so that helps us plan. But ultimately, when we really start investing uh, dollars locally, it's about solving a a local problem. Um, I would say another good interconnection is, you know, we do quite a bit of collaboration on grants ourselves. 
Uh, so I'm a principal investigator on our Austin Shines uh, project, and that's a DOE funding. And so what I think is important about that, one, the funding just kind of you know helps really launch the project. But two is their interest isn't to solve it for Austin. Their interest is to make sure we are open, transparent, document what we share and is scalable and, some, and a lot of metric driven that they can apply to other cities or lessons learned to other cities. So I think it's a very natural collaboration when you work in that regard is, you know, you've, you're fixing the problem locally, but you're working with, in this case, and shine state and federal partners who want to solve it in a larger perspective. Perspective, and so that kind of um, sets up the scope of the project, and also the deliverables to include uh, reporting and uh, metrics. How do you think utilities can find a balance between centralized and distributed power? <laughs> well, the genie's out of the bottle. It's definitely moving uh, more and more to decentralize. But I mean, with that said, so here in Austin, uh, I had our folks pull up the latest numbers. We have 6,450 solar installs, so that would be decentralized. Uh, that makes up about 47 megawatts of local sited, so on residences and commercial buildings. And we also locally have a 30 megawatt um, uh, solar close to the airport uh, called the, Web the Weberville Project. So that's about 77 megawatts. You know, we're over about 3,200 uh, megawatts of capacity, so it kind of gives you a sense of even a progressive utility like Austin Energy, the, the balance is still in, in centralized, and there is some major advantages for centralized. Generally, it's economies of scale and cost, but we also, there's a reason why we do major rebates for local solar, why we're doing the Shines Project to integrate local solar with battery storage at the residential, commercial, and grid scale. Because we, we can look into the future and we see where the market's going. We're seeing where economy scales are going. We're just seeing some major changes. So we want to figure it out up front rather than it figure it out for us. You know, we'd rather be, you know, on the front end making those decisions. Uh, and a big part of the Shines project on basically um, – it's about maximizing the value of distributed energy resources. So it's value to the customer, it's value to the utility, and it's also value to the grid or the ERCOT market. And so as we can find that double and triple win, that's what moves the needles. When we discover a sustainable business model and we get out of the uh, pilot phase or even a subsidy phase, uh, that's when other cities and other utilities and investor-owned utilities will jump on that bandwagon, and then you'll see that that quick uh, accelerated adopt adoption, which we will see. I, I don't think it's a matter of if. I think it's a matter of when. And um, But we want to be on the front end to make sure we have uh, a sustainable business model for that. Carl, I recently, when I say recently, I think it was about two or three months ago, went to um, an Austin solar policy update. It's one of the solar advocacy groups um, within Austin. And they had mentioned something around a proposal for any new homes being built within the Austin area had to um, pretty much be built so that the roofs could could take on panels if if the owners wanted to. So I guess my question is, how does Austin Energy 
interact with the community and listen to the community in order to, you know, weed out the good ideas as opposed to the ones that maybe, you know, aren't incredibly useful. How, how does Austin Energy really interact with the community in that way? Well, uh, so that's that specifically is, yeah, it's referred to as, as rooftops being solar ready. And then how we interact with the community, I would say, you know, based on being a public utility is it's in a lot of different ways and a lot of different mediums. Uh, recently, I was asked for all the sources of input I get from the community, but as well as different working group and research organizations. And it didn't take me long to come up with 20 on that list. So we have two separate commissions who are appointed by city council, which are citizens, volunteer citizens. One's the Resource Management Commission and one's the Electric Utility Commission. So they are appointed by council to provide input. We have the Austin Energy Oversight Committee that's made up of the mayor and the entire council. They are elected officials that listen to the constituents and ultimately you know, approve of everything from rates and budgets and everything in between. Um, and then so peripheral to those groups, we have uh, everything from uh, community outreach events. We have stakeholder events. We attend uh, different meetings like you had mentioned before. And so we do have a lot of uh, input and we we take it to heart. And so, I mean, we're because we're part of the community as well, too. So there's a lot of, I'd say, shared values and and collaboration. Um, you know, we work in the community, our footprint, you know, as a utility, um, although it's about a million folks uh, that we serve, um, it, it's a pretty small geographic area. So a lot of us live in those communities as well. So it's even, I get input just from my neighbors, you know, and they know you work at Austin Energy or family, you know, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll have ideas and it's all, it's all taken to heart. And uh, I think that's that's a key to why um, public power, or at least I can talk about Austin Energy, is kind of the way it is. It's it's unique. It does a lot of kind of advanced thinking things. Um, and one way specifically on the project you mentioned is so we have something called the, the Green Building Program, which just celebrated its 25-year anniversary. So it predates uh, LEED and was a major funnel and started the Green Building Council that, that helped create LEED. And um, what we do is we're constantly advancing our green building criteria. And then the city codes, when they come up for renewal, these about two-year cycles, the best ideas from the green building, the voluntary program, then get into the city codes. So then city codes kind of come up close to the green building. Then the green building codes kind of leap ahead, again, at innovation and new ideas. And then, and then the best ideas are then filtered into the actual city code. So that's how we interact with very specifically on city codes and building codes. Right. So it sounds like it really does, you know, reflect, you know, all this complexity and teamwork that it takes to um, really, you know, be a sustainable community. But I definitely think as an Austin residents, you know, Austin Energy's presence is felt and appreciated um, in the work that you guys do over there. Well, one question I had for you, Carl, um, we were talking a little bit earlier about the role of utilities in in driving these these new technologies forward, um, as well as the role in just you know driving the actual innovation um, and and creation of some of these new technologies, and uh, I started thinking about you know start at ETS, which which is happening in late October, 
Um, and it's an event that, I mean, it seems like it's taking a little bit different approach on kind of this whole startup, new, new ideas, um, competition. Could you, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, about the event coming up with the, with the startup competition, the one that's coming up or the one we've done in the past? The one that's coming up. Of course, we don't want to talk about the new stuff, right? So we're very <laughs> yeah. excited. We're we're working. So we've worked with Z Prime and the and the Energy Thought Summit uh, f- from day one, um, from ETS one all the way to what are what are we at now? The fifth one this year is coming up. Yeah, the fifth, fifth anniversary. One's up. Yep. Uh, but even Z Prime prior to ETS, because we we think you know we're very supportive of our. Um, local and community leadership, and we think there's some great uh, folks and ideas uh, associated with, with Z Prime and Energy Thought Summit. Uh, th- the concept is this, is we want to bring to Austin some of the best and brightest ideas from the startup community. And instead of being a pitch event for the company and funding for the company, which I've done plenty of those, and those are very interesting, we're actually wanting the startups to do a pitch event on a specific project or pilot. The, the winner, if you will, will actually get a, a pilot or at the very least some high-level meetings to, to pilot the best project idea with the company. And there's going to be a, an award associated with it, but I think even more important to these startup companies is a real opportunity to pilot or demonstrate the um, their product in a real world situation and, and company or, or 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 in this case potentially uh, on the real world utility grid or infrastructure. So we're very excited. Uh, that event is tentatively uh, going to have a big kind of a launch event in September and the actual pitch competition in October uh, in Austin. And there'll be some more news coming out of uh, on that. Well, thank you, Carl. We look forward to more locally driven innovation from the city of Austin and from Austin Energy. Thank you so much for being our inaugural guest. It was great to hear from you. Oh, glad to be here. And I am going to give you all a scoop because I think every good podcast needs a scoop. And so you mentioned our 55% renewable target goal for 2025. Uh, you also mentioned our, our wind contract. When that finally goes uh, through, that's going to get us 47%. Something we haven't announced yet, uh, but it's going through the process to become official. We're actually... Uh, Looking at very soon announcing that number is going to go up from 55% to 60% renewable in 2027. But I agree with your assessment. We are on track to get to that 55%. So typically, once we get on track and start getting close, uh, the number gets higher. And so when you combine that with our current nuclear operations, which we do look to to maintain, uh, that will put us at basically 85% of zero emission uh, electric production uh, on the uh, Austin Energy portion of the grid. So we're, we're pretty excited about that number. So it is getting greener and greener. It's getting closer to that 100% goal. You know, at some point we are going to see it there, but this puts us to a pathway of 85% zero emission. So we're pretty excited about that announcement. That is exciting. Well, thank you for coming, Carl. We really appreciate uh, hearing from you as always. 
Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, thank you all, and uh, en enjoyed listening to the first part of the podcast as well. And uh, I hope we can drive some attendance to the START ETS coming up, and then, of course, the premier Energy Thought Summit event in March in lovely Austin, Texas. Yeah, it's our favorite. <laughs> and mine, too. <laughs> thank you all. Thank you. So that's it for us today. We hope you enjoyed the first Z Prime on the Grid podcast. Uh, I'd like to thank Christine Richards. Thanks, Dylan. It was it was a lot of fun to be on. And research analyst Aaron Hardick. Yeah, thank you, Dylan. Looking forward to the rest of the podcasting season. Me too. My name is Dylan Lockwood. You can find out more about Zprime at zprime.com, and you can find our research at etsinsights.com. Our next podcast will be on August 21st. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.